0: Three okay, podcast take it or leave it take it or leave a podcast I'm Ethan wise and I'm Nick Farringdon, and we're gonna talk and
1: we're ab- both liars <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to talk about sort of an add-on to our episode a couple weeks ago in that we mentioned a fair amount of detail about when you're getting ready to bring your houseplants in or any of your outdoor plants that you want to try to winter over inside for winter, how to bring those in and treat them for insect pests so you don't end up spreading that around or bringing that in with other houseplants that you have and ending up with spider mites on every all of your plants inside or whatever. But so what we wanted to do this week is houseplant care through the winter or the off-season months.
0: Right, because in a couple episodes ago, we talked about... How you can manage and or prepare your your plants for pest management, so to say, right. for bringing in your plants from outside. And we talked about different sort of systemics you could use, like imidoclopid granules for your house plants, mixing that in, or using pest sprays like Triple Action, which is pyrethrin and neem, or you want to use insecticidal soap. Using those sort of things to prepare your plants to be inside, especially if they're going to be in tight
1: quarters and to help eliminate the potential of pests thriving over winter. So now this episode, we're essentially picking up from that point and saying, okay, all those plants are in for the off season or in for winter, depending on where you live and what your climate's like, but your plants are indoors, day length is shorter, The house might be a little bit cooler. You'll have heat running. It's dry. It's more arid. Yes. The air is a lot more dry, lower humidity. So that's kind of where we want to pick up with this episode to just kind of set some expectations for houseplants and indoor plants for winter because things do slow down so much in that time of year.
0: I think a lot of times people assume that because it's a houseplant or it's a tropical plant. That it always is at a hundred percent. You know, it's always, always very actively right, growing, right? It's always doing a thing. And while there are, there is, I think, some truth to that in some parts of the area with certain types of plant that never really go through. Like a, a true dormancy period. Or like but if the,
1: you live further south and you have right. lots of south facing windows and you're getting tons of light and you keep the house warmer and those kind of things. But up in Illinois, Missouri, areas that we're from, and so on, where it's much cooler and the day length is shorter and days are cloudier. So you're getting way lower light than you would in the growing season. Mm-hmm. You know, that's can be very different.
0: Yeah. So I think it's it's good to to have this expectation that your house plant is also going to go through somewhat of a dormancy period Mm -hmm. the same way that your plants outside are your house plant or tropical plants are also to an extent, especially adapting with, like you said, cooler temps, shorter periods of light, lower Uh, levels of light. Right, right, right. And sometimes to such a degree that some of your house plants, depending on what you have, might defoliate, if not entirely, even somewhat.
1: For some varieties, Mm -hmm. yeah.
0: But yeah, so should we just kind of go into basic... Is there something that you specifically wanted to hit first?
1: Well, I know some of the big ones tend to be fertilizer. That's a question a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, When your plants are going into that time of kind of a reduced growth period and like we said some of those elements affecting that reduced growth period is especially if they're going from outside to inside and it's not necessarily specific to outdoor plants coming in even your house plants that stay inside year round they're still going from getting say 12 hours of sunlight to maybe only eight good hours of sunlight or maybe it's cloudy and overcast all the time like in Illinois, for example. So whether they're coming in from the outdoors or it's a plant that's always inside, they're still getting less sun exposure and for a shorter amount of time. So that will reduce obviously photosynthesis. They're not going to grow as fast.
0: They're photosynthesizing less. They're burning through nutrients less. Mm -hmm. Therefore the need for, Fertilizer in the soil isn't as,
1: you know, it's, right. not, it's not as prevalently needed. Right. So essentially for wintertime, you can really slow down that fertilizing. Now, if you wanted to use like a really low rate uh, liquid fertilizer, like what, a 555 or less occasionally maybe like a, a liquid watering that in like once a month maybe like or an something. organic like sometimes the organic yeah.
0: concentrates that are like one two one or yeah. one Just one to two give or them something a like that bit. yeah because one 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 being the fertilizer content nitrogen yeah. phosphorus potassium right
1: and we talked about some of the fertilizer stuff in more detail back in our fertilizer episode you guys can check that out if you're interested but yeah an organic, like you said, is going to be much more mild. You need a little bit of microbial action in the soil to kind of break that down a little bit more for the plant to have it available. So it's not quite as hot of an application as a salt based, you know, Miracle more- Grow powder that's 21% right. nitrogen. Exactly, or something along those lines. So a low rate organic would be fine to use on occasion once or twice a month in winter. But generally, especially if you fertilize very regularly or if you use a slow release fertilizer like an Osmocote, for example, that we tend to recommend, you really would want to scale that back for winter because you don't want to be blasting these plants with nutrients when they're slowing down. And the same can be said for watering.
0: Right. I'm already an advocate of minimal watering. Even though I have a lot of tropical plants, I'm not a huge... Yeah, you run stuff on the dry side for sure. I certainly do. And I always tell people it's easier to fix Mm. uh, underwatered soil than it is to fix overwatered soil.
1: Especially in winter.
0: And in your house. It's Mm. just even in general even during spring and summer months in your house those plants are not photosynthesizing at the same capacity as plants outside are it's mm-hmm. just not possible for them
1: and even though in the winter time your indoor humidity you know assuming you don't have an in-house humidifier or so on and so forth but in general in winter your indoor humidity is going to be lower, but because things are cooler, especially if you're keeping your plants by a bright window, that area is going to be a lot cooler than an interior room with the heat. Maybe you keep your house a little on the cooler end for winter, especially with energy prices now. Mm -hmm. Those kind of things then contribute as well as the plant slowing down. Plants pick up on cooler temps. Yes. And
0: they slow their
1: roll when temps get lower than what they are used to on an average basis. And so, because of that, on its own, they're going to be utilizing less water. But with everything being cooler and less light, that soil is also going to be drying out much more slowly for those reasons. Mm-hmm. So again, a good reason to, like Ethan said, kind of keep things a little more on the dry side and make sure you're not overwatering and having that soil sit and be soggy. And you could have issues with root rot and fungal issues and and those types of things.
0: Yeah. So I I always recommend running on the dry side, no matter what, no matter what time of year, but definitely over winter, be cautious about overwatering your plants. Because just like you said, they're likely going to be burning through, um, which is a weird term to use for water but burning through water usage less and so I always like to truly wait until the soil seems dry and or the plant is showing me signs especially if it's something like a philodendron or a monstera or a pothos Fine, those are very good at letting you know when they're thirsty they start to kind of flag that's the term that we use for that kind of weeping sad looking leaf that starts to hang or
1: you notice the leaves kind of aren't as rigid or aren't as shiny and vibrant right.
0: so if you notice your plant is doing that and then you look at it and you're like oh the soil is dry there you go you know it's time to give it a drink
1: right. so- and you might want to be careful too with if you're normally say bringing your house plant to the sink and running water into that pot until it's totally soaked letting it drain off and then bringing it back to its spot. You might want to just use less in general because, again, if that soil is totally saturated, if that's how you normally water, it really is going to take probably a little too long for it to dry back out in winter, and that's when you can run into some issues.
0: Absolutely. I mean, and when I bring in my cacti, I pretty much never water them. So when I bring in, I have a lot of agave, I have a lot of cacti. I do have some succulents, but succulents aren't really what i think they're a little bit higher maintenance than i prefer so and i think they just tend to get really
1: leggy inside yeah if you're not by like a bright south or west facing window for winter with succulents Especially if you're giving them too much fertilizer, or too much water, because more water, more fertilizer, they're going to be more encouraged to put on new growth. And that's when you can get stretching and legginess with your cat. Like if you have a a round barrel cactus, for example, and it starts to grow like a a lighter green little weird point to Mm -hmm. it, it's trying to put new growth, but it doesn't have the right amount of light and energy to properly grow.
0: right. And yeah, that term too. So here's the our, our term of the of the episode, etiolation. So etiolation is that term of when a plant has weird elongated growth that is also much lighter green than it normally is, that's a form of etiolation. That's the plant not getting enough light to be able to form the way that it normally should form. Sure. And once that starts to happen. My understanding and my experience is there's no way to fix that. Like if you have a tall Peruvian apple cactus and then it starts to get that weird right. light green, especially skinny with cacti. That's growth. like essentially it's, one
1: body. Yeah,
0: it's never going
1: to plump it up and never gonna really darken up again. You're kind of, but some of your succulents, you know, if they start to get leggy like that, some of them you can cut them back and they'll regrow. Like sure. say new rosettes, sedums from that. and echeverias. Yeah, yeah those are yeah. pretty easy. Yeah. So anyway,
0: I don't really have too many succulents, although I know a lot of people can because they're available everywhere. No matter where you shop for plants, there's usually trays of like two inch and three inch succulents. So I get a lot of people have those. Definitely put those in a bright window. Give those lots of sun periodically check those for water once or twice a month nice thing about true succulents they get kind of pruny looking
1: yeah almost like a wrinkling to the leaves if they start to get too dry
0: right like the way your fingers look when they're too wet is how succulent leaves tend to look when they're too dry Mm -hmm. and so that's a good thing to look for like oh
1: wow that's really wrinkly and pruny looking it needs a drink and with that they can again just like some of the more tropical foliage type plants that we named the succulents can also start to look less glossy and shiny less vibrant in the leaves Mm -hmm. as they start to get that kind of wrinkling when they're getting too dry
0: yeah But as far as my cacti, when I bring them in, or I have a lot of agave, I think I have 10 different agave plants and quite a few true cacti. So barrel cacti and ferrocactus, cactus, areas. So when those come inside, especially my agave, my barrel cactus and my cacti, I don't even put those next to a window. They're very shade. They essentially go dormant. They don't look like they're going dormant. They look the same as they always do, but I will put them... Essentially, wherever I have room for them, knowing that I don't need to put them right next to a window and just let them be. And I will maybe if they're lucky, they'll get like a little bit of water from the bottom of a glass or something like that, that I didn't finish from the night before. You know, I'll walk by them and And they're not
1: stretching because they're essentially cold, dry and hungry. Right. And they're just. Stagnant, they just
0: kind of stay that way for several months. I essentially completely leave them alone. Yeah, but some of my other foliar plants, like my monstera, essentially my aeroids, aeroids being this all-encompassing term for things like I brought up earlier, philodendrons, monstera's, pothos. So epipremnums are the genus of the name for a lot of common name pothos.
1: And what's the other one? Epipremnum and. Skindapsis. Skindapsis. Yeah,
0: thank you. And used to, I know we had talked about this before, trailing philodendrons used to also be categorized. I think some growers that sell wholesale still categorize certain trailing philodendrons in with the pothos common name category where you
1: might find like some Brazilian. I've seen Brazil referred that way. I think it's just because Brazil in particular tends to be so viney and look so similar to Mm -hmm. the kind of colloquial of what a pothos would be referred to as. I have
0: seen the shift, though, where more and more people are just referring to those types of philodendrons as trailing philodendrons, though, but I'd feel like it wasn't that long ago that a lot of trailing philodendrons were just also categorized as pothos as well, as it was like this all-encompassing term for trailing foliar plants. But that all being said, so those I try to give a nice either southern, eastern, or western exposure for. And uh, we have a nice Western window in our house that is also somewhat filtered from a a little bit of an evergreen there so it gets nice light there and we'll put a humidifier in this room that's western facing so a lot of those aeroids go in that room not a whole lot of new growth being generated you might get one leaf that starts to unfurl and then stops and just stays like that for two Mm. months at a time but yeah the idea is to really not encourage too much growth hence the fertilizer not needing to overdo on the watering giving them just enough light to thrive but I really try hard to not encourage too much growth
1: over winter yeah winter for houseplants and tropicals is usually more of a surviving not thriving type of situation absolutely just let them kind of be I do want to jump back really quick before we get into light I want to touch on light more I do want to jump back a little bit to watering how you mentioned keeping things on the drier side there definitely are some exceptions to that if you have a lot of ferns which I don't. Yeah. Right. If you have a lot of ferns, for example, that like higher humidity, more of a bright and direct to a lower light, depending Peace lilies. Right. Those kind of things you would not want to run dry in winter because they will get crispy pretty quick. So very quickly. That's a little. You know. You do still need to be careful about not way saturating the soil and having them sit wet and cool for too Wrung long. Rung out sponge is a good. Yeah. kind of soil consistency to have in right, mind. Right. If they're in, say, like a plastic pot or a liner pot and they are they feel really heavy after your water, you know, that's probably too much. You want that soil to be just moist. Mm-hmm. So there are some exceptions there of things that you would not want to run particularly dry in wintertime. And um, if
0: you want to bring in your Boston fern, be prepared to be picking up leaves right. the entire winter season.
1: Yeah. <laughs> hey, Ethan, do you hear that? what oh it's an ad
0: real quick thanks for listening to our episode today you can stay in touch with us by
1: supporting us on Patreon. We are
0: at patreon.com slash take it or leave it. And
1: we'll have bonus content on Patreon for all of our subscribers there where you can get extra episodes and snippets from the show that we don't release to all the other platforms.
0: You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube at take it or leave it pod. And you can also visit our website, take it or leave If you have any questions or or comments or any stories you'd like us to research or talk about or hell send us a picture of a plant you want us to identify you can send that information to show at take it or leafitpod.com you can also follow us on our individual instagrams i am at hortwise h-o-r-t-w-i-s-e
1: and i am at n Farringdon n-f-a-r-r-i-n-g-d-o-n
0: Thanks so much. We'll get back to the episode. Oh, you got me.
1: <laughs> and so, now circling back to light, I know you mentioned your west facing window. There are house plants on that end that prefer the more interior, bright, and direct light that. In the regular growing season, if you put them in a west-facing window, they would be stressed out. They might get burning. But something to keep in mind, at least in kind of the zone, what, three through seven of the United States, in wintertime, with the day length, so the length of light in hours that the plants are getting being shorter, and the intensity of the sunlight being less because the sun is physically farther away from Earth, and also it tends to be more overcast, at least in the Midwest where mm-hmm. we're at, that combination of things, lower intensity and duration of light means that some of those plants that you'd normally maybe keep in a more interior part of the room or only east-facing, for example, you can get away potentially with putting those in a south or west-facing window because the intensity of the light just isn't as strong that time of year. So... Don't be afraid with certain things to kind of experiment with putting them in those what normally in the main growing season would be too high of light areas. Again, your south and your west facing areas, you can get away with that with more things in the wintertime.
0: Yeah, like I guess a good so like an anthurium and there are lots of different types of anthuriums, but I think the most popular type of anthurium is the one that's referred to as a flamingo flower flower. Has those very vibrant red or pink. Shiny, white. Super funky looking flower. You see them a lot at florists. Grocery stores. Exactly. That, if it was in a western window in June or July, it would start to cook. It would not be happy. But I can put that type of plant in a western window over winter. Because it's not, you know, the sun's setting at 5 o'clock instead of 8 o'clock. And like you said, the temperature is not at all the same. It's 30 degrees outside versus 100 degrees on the western side of the house in July. Mm -hmm. So totally different scenario. So, yeah, good. I think that's great bringing up that what you can put on your western or southern windows over winter might not at all be what you can
1: do during the growing season. And you can really kind of think of it as just like in summer, in July, if you're outside on a full, bright, sunny, 100 degree day from one o'clock to five o'clock in the afternoon with no sunscreen, you're going to get crispy and sunburnt. But if you do that same thing in the wintertime, your chance of that happening is much lower. You kind of think of it like that with the plants.
0: I've been kind of lucky at my house because my southern window, which is pretty small, it's just our kitchen window is a southern window. And uh, we have a big oak tree, a stupid pin oak tree (laughs) that's there. But it filters like in summer, all that growth kind of filters that southern light through there. So a lot of the plants that I can put in that southern window over winter are the same ones that I can put there during the growing season. Because it's so filtered over summer due to all the foliage that's on the tree but then once that foliage drops they can still stay in that southern window because still it's the light is not as extreme the heat is not as extreme right so we have a lot of our hoyas in that southern window that do pretty well and then sometimes some odds and ends um,
1: philodendrons and things yeah like that.
0: yeah a lot of cuttings end up going there when i mm-hmm. take like philodendron cuttings end up getting rooted or monstera cuttings end up getting rooted in that window space yeah Speaking of that, okay, that kind of leads us into like pruning and maybe potting up. Should Uh, we touch
1: on room humidity really quick?
0: Yeah, I did briefly just say something about having a humidifier in the western window. Yeah. But we didn't really touch too much. Yeah. Ooh, pebbles and saucers.
1: Right. So as far as if you have plants that are more on that kind of tropical foliage and uh, philodendrons, pothos, and kind of those categories, ferns. Arrowheads what maybe croton if calatheas definitely calatheas maranta if you have those types of plants that generally like a little more humidity inside for winter especially if you have forced air heat gas heat that a lot of people do or electric heat those tend to run very dry and the humidity tends to be much lower and so that can stress those plants out and get them a little crispy couple ways around that you could use a small room humidifier in that room to bump up the humidity a little bit or if you have an area that most of your plants are concentrated like right by your window and you want to get just a little humidifier to keep that kind of zone of the room more humid you can go that route you can also if you have enough space for setting those pots on if you got a, a larger saucer and put a layer a couple layers of gravel or some other type of pebble in those marbles or or little glass beads and you keep a little bit of water in those and then set your potted plant on that so not enough water in those pebbles that it's going to wick up through the drain hole in the bottom of the pot but enough that it will kind of evaporate up and cause humidity more in that area immediately surrounding the plant some people will go that route Mm -hmm. another thing to be cautious of is overhead wall or floor vents and yes. what direction those are blowing. If you have those more sensitive plants and they're getting blown on, you know, that register every just hour or something, dry, air dry, dry, dry air that can really lead to things getting stressed out. So that's another one to keep an eye on.
0: Yeah. That's a, uh, or near a radiator, that kind of thing. It's definitely been an issue that I've diagnosed many times where people would come in during the off season and have houseplant questions and they would show me pictures describe what's going on i was like is there an air register close by to that plant and it's not uncommon like oh yeah
1: like why is one half of this plant getting crispy
0: right oh it's facing event i remember one time a lady put the pot on top of the register yeah. and just she she's like well i closed the register She didn't like cut off air circulation to that register. You just kind of closed that vent so that soil wouldn't fall in there. But still, there's still air creeping through there. And her plant, she was like, oh, yeah, when I moved it, when I saw her next like a week or two later, she was like, oh, yeah, the bottom of that pot was so warm. The soil was Mm -hmm. so dry. Mm -hmm. And her plant was just nearly entirely defoliated. But once she addressed that and moved it to a different location, she had it's starting to push off new growth again and uh, said, well, it's going to be pretty sparse for the rest of your don't give up on it, but don't expect it to fill out the way it was when you it's not going to look the way it did when you brought it inside. Overwinter, but next season it should come back and look okay.
1: Did you touch on some of the varieties you have or some of the varieties that we were thinking of as far as things that can tend to get a little more defoliation in winter? Not yet. Move. Yeah, okay. not yet. so we want to touch on that real quick before yeah. we get into propagating?
0: Sure. There are definitely a few things to be prepared. So I'll talk specifically about just the plants in my own experience
1: mm-hmm.
0: with 152 houseplants currently. Currently. Uh, which plants are prone to defoliating or having, whether it's entire defoliation, yeah, partial partial or or full defoliation. My partial defoliation have been things in the ficus genus, Mm -hmm. things like the audrey ficus, which looks like it might be a rubber tree. Rubber trees are very common. Evergreens, that I have a burgundy one, which I talked about in our house plant, top six, bottom six. That's one of my favorite plants because it's so resilient. And I grew it from a tiny little cutting and now it's this giant tree shrub
1: yeah check out our houseplants episode if you want to hear more on that yeah top six bottom six but
0: audrey ficus is a less succulenty type of leaf true green but grows very similarly but it's not uncommon for mine to partially defoliate over winter i think it just has to do with the drier air less water You'll see the new growth buds where it's going to produce and it just sits on that kind of Mm -hmm. like a magnolia wood where it just sits on those buds over winter and before they open up. Well, my Audrey Ficus
1: does the same thing. And ficus benjamina is another really common ficus. Yep. You see weeping uh, fake or something like that. Or if you, anytime you see like that fake ficus tree in your the corner of your doctor's office or mm-hmm. your dentist's office, it's usually a fake version of one of those. And if it's a live version, and you look at it sideways in regular season, they'll drop leaves. Right. I've seen them drop half their leaves. If you move it from one corner of the room to the other, they're very touchy, even in regular season. Absolutely. So lots of things in that category can defoliate a little bit.
0: Ferns might do that as well i'd kind of name drop the boston fern before that's probably your most common hanging basket fern that you see and uh, but there's other types
1: of ferns that you might want to overwinter yeah speaking of i was going to mention kimberly queens when you were talking about the bostons they look pretty similar sometimes the kimberly can be a little more tight less more flowy upright. and a little more upright so maybe not quite as suited for a hanging basket but if you're just looking for you know a floor plant or a pedestal plant or are more familiar with a boston fern a kimberly is a good alternative in that they're not as touchy with the leaf drop and getting brown crispy leaves over winter or even in the regular season if you forget to water they're just a little more forgiving
0: Mm -hmm. i also notice i don't own any of these plants anymore because i value my sanity but calathea's and sure. stromanthes mm-hmm. are plants that I just it's like it's just not my baggage anyone who is very much into those calatheas or, or maranta right or prayer plants I think is a common name that can be associated with plants in that genus yep more power to you it's just not something I like to deal with I find them to be very needy plants but they also in my experience will somewhat defoliate due to just the more arid
1: climate that my house ends up being in over winter. and if you're Really, most of these plants, especially the foliage plant, if they're inside really any time of year, but more likely to happen in winter, if you're seeing leaves that look diseased or starting to look really pale yellow or just generally unhealthy No point in leaving that on the plant because if anything, it's just going to pull more energy or potentially spread more disease or it could be a sign of an insect pest. If you're seeing leaves that are looking a weird spotting or brown patches, crispy ends quite a bit on, you know, a significant portion of the leaf. Or like I said, the yellowing or the light green kind of look, just do cultural control and kind of remove those from the plant because having a bunch of crispy, sketchy looking yellow leaves on your plant is not, those are never really going to come back out of that. So there's no point in keeping it on the plant. Right. So, just periodically kind of clean those things up in winter. Your plant will, and I get that, with, will be happy with you.
0: With one of uh, another one of my plants, not all of my philodendrons do that, but this particular philodendron, uh, it's a trailing variety called Cebu Blue, C E B U mm-hmm. Blue. And it's uh, got a pointier leaf than some of your other trailing philodendrons. I kind but, of like a
1: more narrow, pointy. yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: And that one really likes humidity, it loves the humidity, and so and it's you have very happy.
1: Hanging baskets, which is tricky to do humidity with.
0: Right. So they they thrive when they're outside in that filtered light with the natural humidity that exists. But when they come inside, we've had it before almost entirely defoliate, Hmm. which is probably a little more on the extreme side. Sure. Um, But it did come back. You know, it came back, produced lots of new foliage when it came back outside. Or when it went back outside but that's one that i always am prepared for some mild defoliation leaves just turn yellow drop off i get rid of them just like you were saying and go about my business water it when it needs to be watered and just accept the fact that that particular plant is not going to be happy in the more arid less sunlight environment that is my house over winter here
1: in the St. Louis area or central Illinois. And like we said, a way to kind of supplement that humidity would be an in, in air humidifier, especially if a lot of these are hanging plants that you can't, you know, the humidifier set helps on a tray. Drastically drastically. Or, right. Right. Just having to
0: constantly, the thing is always remembering to refill the humidifier. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, Oh, when we remember to refill the humidifier on a regular basis, like, gosh, these plants look so good. Right. And then like two weeks later, like, Oh, these plants look like shit. Oh, yeah.
1: the fire hasn't had water in it for like eight days. Like, <laughs> oops. <laughs> and I know another one is your adenium.
0: Yeah, my two plants that I have that always, I should—I have three plants. So the three plants that I have that always defoliate entirely for me every single year, and it's common for other peoples to do the same thing. The adenium, which is the desert rose, also talked about in top six, bottom six house plants. Yep. Also one of my favorites. Mine entirely defoliates every single year once I bring it inside and then sometimes pushes off new little growths at the ends of the branches and it just kind of sits on these little baby, not mature green leaves, but mm-hmm. all the mature foliage drops off. And I've spoken to people before several in the garden center settings that we've worked at where people didn't know that and they bought this cool plant and then it defoliates and they threw it away. They thought that it died over winter. And then, you know, I talked. I was like, oh, no, it was just dormant. It just went dormant. And they're like, oh, I thought it was dead. I didn't know that.
1: And so whether it's something like that, like the adenium that can fully defoliate or like you mentioned that Cebu blue philodendron. If you do have a plant that is getting a lot of defoliation that maybe you're not sure if it does that normally or not, or if it is dead or alive, you can always either you know snip a little vine tip or do a small little scraping on mm-hmm. the bark trunk yeah, it's, yeah, yeah yeah it's hard to yeah of that plant and you see some good bright green underneath that you know that can be a way to just kind of delicately test whether right. or not if the plant's not alive.
0: brittle you right. know and if it's still crunchy has
1: some- and brown and shriveled up that's one thing but then you're a bad house plant parent yeah <laughs>
0: So yeah, the, the adenium completely defoliates my, the other two are very obscure plants. So I'll just briefly talk about them. One is the uh, shaving bush tree. The botanical name is Pseudobombax. It's very uncommon. I got lucky finding these from a vendor a long time ago, but I love mine. Uh, It's a very unique, funky looking tree shaped. I have mine in a bonsai form and it entirely defoliates and just something I'm prepared for every winter. And then I have a plant that's called an ant plant, A N T, that has a caudex, which we big talked about before. root
1: bulb, above ground root yeah. bulb type structure. And the
0: codex, caudex, C A U D E X. And we talked about that also in our previous houseplant episode. Yeah, being this, not a trunk, but a trunk. You know, yeah, it's like. It's a big. Like if you have a. Probably the plant that's more common for people that would have a. The ponytail palm. I mm-hmm. think that has really found much more it's always kind of been a somewhat popular plant but i think it's even found a stronger popularity in garden centers now because it's so low maintenance to take care of but if you are familiar with a ponytail palm and there's a couple different varieties you might find that trunk is technically referred to as a caudex So anyway, those are just my experiences with plants and defoliation, but things to always be prepared for if that's happening. And once again, as far as if you're ever concerned about, especially with houseplants, houseplants are some, Nick and I will talk about plants no matter what, obviously we're doing this fricking podcast. But houseplants, because we both have so many of them and we both have been buyers for garden centers and have had to care for these plants in those setting as well as being, since you're the buyer, essentially being the go-to person to answer questions for people in garden center settings. We are so comfortable talking about houseplants that if anyone over the winter season or as you're bringing your plants in, you want to identify what your plant is, you want to know how to personalize the care for it, any concerns you have for them, send us a picture, message us on our email, our social media page. We will be more than happy to nerd out with you over your houseplant.
1: Yeah, definitely. And we might even feature it on the show. Yeah, absolutely. And one other thing to touch on that I don't even think we talked about in our notes before we started recording. But another category of plant that can start to defoliate in winter is if you have something that you're bringing in or something that stays in that is a deciduous type of plant, a plant that has to have a winter dormancy. Mm. And this could be... Uh, some type of bonsai sure. or a little dwarf plant that you have as a patio plant. If that plant is something that needs a dormancy, could even be a type of evergreen. But if it's something that could live in your area outside, planted in the ground, chances are that plant does need a dormancy. Mm-hmm. And if you Bring that plant in or keep that plant in its normal place in the house over winter, and it doesn't get a dormancy that can actually stress the plant out so much. You know, you might be able to get an extra year or two or three on that plant without it going into a full dormancy, but eventually that will stress the plant to death. So, if you have a especially like maple bonsais, that's where I've talked to people about this exact thing, or even a juniper or some kind of pine or something like that, they Need a cold dormant period. Yeah, they might look okay for a while, but you have to give them a dormancy. And that really depends on the variety. And you would need to know whether it is something that's hardy in your area or what the zone range, the hardiness zone range is that they can survive in. You know, if it's something that's hardy to zone 10, you could probably keep that in all year round and not need to. That's not necessarily going through a winter dormant period. But if you live in. You know, if it's a plant and you live in Minnesota or Michigan or Pennsylvania or Illinois, Missouri, Tennessee, Kentucky, whatever, somewhere in that, any of those regions and more, if it is something that can survive outside through your winters, it will need a dormancy. And then you would have to find a spot like. Maybe an unheated garage that has a window, especially if it's an evergreen, because they would still need to do a lower level of photosynthesizing through the winter. If it's something like a, a bonsai maple, like you mentioned, or a Japanese maple or an oak or whatever that normally would drop its leaves out in the wild, planted in the ground, those you don't need to worry about a bunch of sunlight you could put them in maybe a cold basement if it really stays consistently 50 or under that can still be risky but really like just swing by and give it a little bit of water once a month or something like that yeah any of them will need to be watered occasionally so that there's some moisture for those roots so they're not totally desiccating but an insulated unheated garage or an insulated unheated shed you know if it's just like a plywood walled shed like a lot of sheds tend to be if it gets negative 10 outside it's still going to get negative 10 inside that shed eventually and that's going to be too cold for those roots in a pot not insulated in the ground so you do need a cooler really like what maybe mid 30s to mid 40s ish or into the slightly freezing kind of category depending on what it is to really achieve that full dormancy for a number of weeks probably minimum eight to 12 weeks Mm -hmm. at, at least to have that plant get a chance to rest and recover to be able to have the energy to push new growth the following spring so that's kind of a whole category of things that could be something to keep an eye out for right yeah so i think should we jump into potting next and then some pruning and propagating the pruning and propagating, I think, would be somewhat, short. I don't know. I
0: I really don't like to do too much pruning and propagating during winter months. And the potting, I also tend to recommend not
1: doing drastically. Yeah, kind of like you wouldn't want to really hit your house plants or your tropical plants indoors with a bunch of fertilizer and a bunch of water in winter. You also don't want to stress them out by putting them in a new disturbing the roots and putting them in a new container.
0: In my experience, bringing in houseplants over winter and earlier on many, many years ago, as I'm still kind of learning about houseplants and to care for them and what works for me and and my level of care, I think I've lost more houseplants over winter from repotting them than any other thing. Yeah, probably a runner-up would be some sort of pest damage, like mealy bugs or something. That like sure. just like okay, I am not going to be able to control it in this. And didn't catch it right in time. And the roots, and it's just like okay, I can't deal with this. Yeah, but I've lost a lot of plants from repotting them over winter to the point where I just don't. It's one thing to take it out of a container that it's in and then upgrade it, or I am sorry to upgrade, not like give it a bigger pot, but to take it out of like maybe it's plastic grower's pot and put it into a non-grower pot of the same size of roughly the same size yeah. but at that point you might as well just drop the liner the plastic grower pot that it's in just drop it into a nicer aesthetic pot if
1: that's what you're concerned about until next spring because just like we said before with that plant not growing as actively in winter that also applies to the root so if you're If you're taking that plant out of the pot and breaking up the root ball, if it's getting a little pot bound and then planting in a new pot and expecting it to like fully root into that new pot and get established, the foliage of the plant isn't growing as much. And so the roots aren't either. So that's going to be more intensely stressful on that plant going into a season where it's not thriving so much as kind of surviving until spring.
0: Yeah, so I see people recommend that um, a lot lot online of when you bring in all your houseplants, repot them all. And maybe some of those people live in southern climates or... More trop maybe there people are saying that from California or Texas where it's a little bit different. Florida Plants don't go through such a dramatic change from outside to inside as much as they do here that they might experience in the northwestern, northeastern, and, and midwestern climate zones of the United States. But as far as where we live, that's not something that I tend to recommend. And can tell you from first hand experience many times. It has not
1: worked out well for the plants to to go through that level of stress. And following our bringing plants in and treating for pests before you bring them in on our couple episodes back, around that time up to even now still on a lot of the plant-related groups on social media, I see a lot of people incorrectly recommending with no good reason as a way to prevent pests to bring your house plants in for winter, pull them out of their pot, totally bare root them, and plant them in new soil. After and, dunking them and like, them in like or rubbing alcohol or, or spray, hydrogen peroxide. Yeah, spray the. I've seen spray the whole plant, spray the roots, spray the leaves with rubbing alcohol or hydrogen peroxide. And while there are some peroxide based. Fungicides and uh, insecticides. Fungicides mostly. Fungicides, yeah. It's too different than taking, your random peroxide from the store that's for cleaning out minor cuts, then spraying it on the roots of your plants. Like it's just not
0: kind of like also like to our episode about cinnamon using cinnamon as a fungicide, the way that it has been documented using in scientific studies, not the same thing as just sprinkling cinnamon powder on your soil or dusting your
1: plant with it just because the internet told you to do that. No measurement or no. Yeah. So, yeah, if you see people recommending, hey, if you don't want fungus gnats over winter, bring your hibiscus in and bare root it. Remove all the soil from the roots and spray it re- with hydrogen
0: peroxide and dust it with cinnamon
1: <laughs> and repot re- it into the same or a bigger pot. Uh, just don't just don't do that.
0: Yeah, it's there's a lot of information there on the you'll, on, you'll on the interwebs. The to death. And like I said, maybe some of those people are giving that information because they've done it. But. As a horticulturist that has had many houseplants and done my own thing, it's just not and something. bought
1: and sold tens, if not hundreds of thousands of houseplants and tropical foliage plants. To sell in the industry. We yeah. can very confidently say that you don't want to do that. Yeah, I
0: just really wouldn't recommend that. And I, I try not to be, I know like sometimes when we're like just each other, it's easy to sometimes be critical. And I really try with this podcast to not ever come across as critical i want to encourage everyone to learn and grow and to embrace the trial and error of being a gardener to whatever extent that you are a gardener whether you like herbs or whether you like house plants or whether you like planting trees but my gosh i'm always just surprised by some of the terrible information that is out there for people to have access to wild stuff very wild bizarre things yeah so yeah yeah
1: <laughs> we'll bite leave my, it at that bite my tongue right we'll leave it there yeah and so oh propagating yeah propagating let's get into that next generally again because things are slowing down it's cooler the humidity can fluctuate a lot more a lot of those variables are more prominent in the off season or the winter months just like you wouldn't want to repot your plants as readily in those seasons you also kind of generally want to avoid any kind of crazy propagation in winter now, as tempting as it might be
0: because you're bored and staring at your house plants over winter.
1: Yeah. And I think there can be some exceptions to that. If you have a house plant or a tropical foliage plant that generally is going to be from a more tropical or warmer climate, and you have a bright sunny window that you're also keeping your house more consistently on the warmer end, and you have an in room humidifier that's keeping the ambient humidity very stable. And then you also have supplemental like LED or plant specific lighting that is artificially keeping the day length, say 12 hours instead of maybe the eight hours that they would get in the wintertime naturally. When you're kind of altering that environment and making it closer to what their native environment would be, even in the quote, quote, winter but you know winter on the equator or in southern florida is very different than winter in the northeast northwest midwest of the u.s for example maybe then in that altered environment that's very controlled you know you have your lights on a timer you could probably get away with some propagating as long as it's not something that's too touchy of a variety but if you're just wanting to take a bunch of cuttings and root some succulents and do all this and just Stick them by your bright window or your bright indirect in winter and letting them go, probably really not the best time.
0: Yeah, if I'm going to do for me, once again, my own personal experience, if I'm doing that, it's usually with things that are, once again, in the aeroid family, monsteras, philodendrons, maybe a, an epipremnum pothos or something like that. And what I would do is just take a cutting that has little nodes on it, nodes being at these you know, kind of important junction points on the plant. And those nodes can sometimes just kind of act as like an aerial root and also can be adapted to grow into an actual root. I will cut it off at that point where there are nodes and I'll just put it in water. Yeah. And just leave it at that, change the water out every few days, keep that water fresh and clean and you'll eventually get roots and just let it stay in a little water jar or vase or whatever you have and just let it stay in a rooted water state until next spring where you can then upgrade it into a soil is that's my method i prefer I've done to- it
1: before too where you know then i could stick them in moist soil that doesn't okay. have like a ton of crazy fertilizer added to it or something like that once they have some of those roots established because i've i've also had some issues with you know you forget to change the water one week or you go out of town and it gets stagnant and nasty or if you have a you know if you have them sitting in a glass jar in a southern window gross you can get you know <laughs> Algae growing or, (laughs) you know, that glass can magnify the sun on those roots and cause issues. So I'll sometimes stick that stuff once it roots. But yeah.
0: Like I said, you know, one of those things where if if you're comfortable- Those are also
1: very, very forgiving varieties of plants.
0: Very much so. Yeah. So just for me, what my comfort zone is and what I feel like I can comfortably tell someone to do and be successful is take some cuttings, stick them in water if you feel the need to. Let them stay there. That's what I will do. And then Come spring, yeah. pot them up. Yeah. So I think we kind of touched base. We hit it all. We hit definitely a lot the of main, information. The
1: main stuff. Yeah. The most frequent questions that we tend to get or that we see pop up on some of these online groups, mm-hmm. which tend to be pretty representative of questions that a lot of people tend to have. For, yeah,
0: especially a couple of them that have, you know, two million followers. So yeah. we yeah. get a lot of ideas of... uh what people are needing help with yeah. by reading some of the posts and comments on those on those pages yeah, if
1: we see 50 100 of the same question or the same similar things being asked or talked about on some of these groups it's like eh, it tends to match up with what we get asked a lot even in our individual lives mm-hmm. with people who know we're plant nerds right yeah i think that wraps it up then i think so All right. So that's been it for our wintertime, off-season, houseplant, tropical foliage, interior plant care and keeping them surviving. Maybe not quite thriving, but at least surviving until spring, until things warm back up and temperatures get more stable and daylight's more readily available. Hopefully that helps. And if you have any houseplant or winter plant-related questions, always feel free to put that in a comment when we post about the episode or reach out to us via the email show at TakeItOrLeafItPod.com, at TakeItOrLeafItPod on Facebook or Instagram, any of those options. All that stuff is on our website, TakeItOrLeafItPod.com as well. If you want to reach us, we're always happy to answer those questions. That's what we're here for. We, we want to help educate people more about plants in the horticulture world. That's a huge portion of why we even do this podcast to begin with. So never feel like you're bothering us. Please, you're not bothering question. us. Right.
0: Yeah, you're not bothering us. This is what we want to do. And if you have your own tried and true techniques, say you've been doing the same thing for a decade or longer, let us know. Love yeah. to hear vicariously through you're experiencing overwintering a type of plant, just let us know kind of what climate zone you live in. We don't need to know you know your address or anything, but sometimes that's helpful to know where you live in comparison to where we live, just so we know you know what kind of technique you're using and is it applicable to how we could utilize that technique or not
1: but especially if you maybe if you specialize like you only do orchids for house plants right or, or African like violets yes. or
0: whatever yeah. you have. 30 different types of succulents, and this is what you do. You only
1: grow carnivorous plants. That would be. Let us know. We'd love to know what
0: your tricks of the trade are for keeping your plants happy over winter.
1: Yeah. All right. That wraps us up for this week's episode. This has been the Take It or Leave It podcast. I'm Nick Farrington. And I'm Ethan Wise. We'll talk to you guys next week. Doodles. Bye.